uh, in the scripture. We're going to read Psalm chapter 6. I'm going to use this. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of my grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Well, hey, uh, good morning. Uh, Like Nicholas said, really glad to be with you this morning. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet, thanks for joining us. Um, So last week, we began a series entitled Come to Him, and I wasn't here even. And um, Mike, one of our elders, did a great job of preaching. But the reason why I was away uh, is because I got away with my wife. No kids for the entire weekend. And we try to do that at least once a year, sometimes twice. And the purpose is really just renewal in our relationship. As you guys, many of you know, uh, life is fast-paced. It's distracting. And so we try to set aside time to get away. And actually, that's a good picture in some regards of the season we're in, the season of Lent. Lent is this 40-day kind of journey leading up to Good Friday and Easter in which we seek to renew our relationship to God. We enter into different rhythms. We enter into different things. And this year, we are focusing on prayer in the book of Psalms. And we're actually focused on praying our emotions. In other words, think about it this way. Instead of suppressing our emotions, like some of us do, right? Or instead of being controlled by our emotions like many of us struggle with, the Psalms actually invite us to pray, to pray our emotions. And um, one of my favorite authors, the late pastor Eugene Peterson, uh, he, he said it this way, everything that a person can possibly feel, experience, and say is brought into expression before God in the Psalms. Think about that for a moment. Everything you can feel, everything you could experience, it's all in the very center of the scriptures in this 150 Psalms. It's right there. So let me ask you, have you ever felt anxiety? Yeah, if you've got a pulse, you've, you've felt anxiety, right? Um, have you ever felt fear or shame or anger? or envy, or despair. Well, the the Psalms are there inviting us to come to him. 
And each week, we're going to look at a particular psalm that relates to each one of those emotions, anxiety, fear, shame, envy, anger, and despair. And, and the big idea of this in the series is simply this, that, that you and I would come to him with where we are and who we are and come to him. And today, uh, we're in Psalm 6, and we see that God invites us to come to him in our despair. In other words, the moments and the seasons you feel deep sadness. And think about this for a moment. In a room like this, many of us, we've perhaps walked through a season with the weight of infertility. Or maybe it's a failed adoption. Or maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's another kind of financial struggle. Maybe it's ongoing conflict in marriage. Maybe it's uh, an unfair supervisor at work. Maybe it's simply an unfulfilled longing. Maybe it's a close friend that's moved away and now you're just lonely. Maybe it's a, it's a wayward child or it's a health diagnosis. Whatever it is, whatever the situation is, the, you know it's in those moments where you feel almost swallowed up by sadness. You know in those moments where you are without hope, that's what it feels like. And what's wonderful about Psalm 6 is it actually invites us to not suppress it, to not avoid it, to not be even swallowed up by it, but it invites us to come to God in the midst of it. And it does it in four ways. It calls us to come to him and pray wisely, and pray boldly, and pray honestly, and to pray expectantly. So... Let me pray and we'll unpack those. Father, you say in your word that a bruised reed you will not break, which suggests that oftentimes we are damaged, we are afflicted, we are broken, and yet that somehow in our lives you can bring about healing and restoration. And so even now, would you tend to our lives and illuminate for us who you are in the midst of our despair. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. But we'll look with me at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 6. The psalmist opens this way. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Uh, the, the psalmist opens, and it is maybe what we wouldn't expect. We hear about a God who disciplines, a God who gets angry, who has wrath. And if you're like me, that can maybe be a little bit disturbing at first, but we need to press in for a moment here because there is something here that's behind this. There is a wisdom here because what the psalmist is doing in his circumstance in which he's in despair He's putting on the lenses of Scripture, and he's looking at his circumstances. And he's saying this, in the midst of those difficult circumstances, that God is actually at work in his life. 
And the word that's used to describe how God is at work is the term discipline. Now, that's one of those terms, right? That almost has like a bad taste in our mouth. But if we actually understand what's underneath it, it's actually really, really wise and really good. And there's a section in the scriptures, probably the the best section on this to understand what discipline is, is in the book of Hebrews. I want to go there for a moment. Look at Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. And, and, And listen to what the author of Hebrews says about discipline. He says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines for us, us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Well, there's a lot here, but let me just point out two things that are helpful related to what this means to pray with wisdom. And the first is this, for, for the Christian in the gospel, discipline is a sign that you're actually in the family, that you're in the family. So verse seven says, God is treating you as sons. And this is interesting. So think about this for a moment. When life is hard, when there are difficult circumstances, and sometimes that's because we've been wayward, and sometimes it's just simply living in a broken world and there are really hard circumstances we're walking through, sometimes we think that God has left us. Or perhaps we think God is distant or not there. But notice Here it begins by saying that discipline, which is not easy, it's very clear, it's not easy, it's not delightful. Hebrews says it's actually a sign you're in the family. It's a sign you belong. But secondly, and this is maybe most importantly, discipline is not punitive. It's actually pedagogical. Those are big terms, but punitive means it's not payback for sin. Jesus took care of that, but rather it's training. There's a purpose in it. There's instruction. So think about this way. You know, in here, even relates having an earthly father and and receiving discipline. And I was thinking about this last week. Um, Years ago, one of our kids, when they were two, they would get upset and they would try to run at me and kick me in the shin. Because I wouldn't let them do something, right? That's, and it was in those moments in the kitchen where I would, I would have to like cover my mouth because I was laughing. Because it's just ridiculous, right? Because number one, it's pretty easy to like, you know, dodge it, right? I'm like, you know. Secondly, if they actually connect it, it's not going to hurt, right? Now, what did I do in that moment, right? In that moment, they got a timeout, all right? I put them in a timeout, and that was for a purpose. It wasn't punitive. It wasn't payback. I wasn't going to kick them in the shin, right? It wasn't payback, but it was because I love them, 
And I don't want them to grow up and be a 25-year-old version of that when they actually could hurt people, right? I'm instructing. And see, that's the heart behind it. Now, in the moment, that didn't feel good for my kid, right? But the heart was, I want them to grow up. And you know what? I want them at moments, at right moments, to be angry. But I also want them to have self-control. I want them to be able to walk through life in a way that is good and right and honors God and loves others. And see, that's the heart behind discipline. And notice here, the passage says that there is a heavenly father who is much better than me as a father. And much better than any father you have had. And that he's good. That's actually what he's doing in the midst of your circumstances. He's at work, and the passage says, to share in his holiness, to be trained in righteousness. In other words, think about this way. You were created for glory. You were created to reflect the God who made you. And actually, this is part of the process, and it's painful. But he's at work. So as Psalm 6 opens, it begins in a way that's just surprising because there's this tremendous wisdom that is here. In the midst of our despair, it begins with a recognition that God is at work in your life and my life, even though it's painful, and that somehow, in some way, he's training you, he's training me to be more like him. And friends, oftentimes, it is in the hardships of life that he does his deepest work. This past week, I was listening to a podcast in which, um, not surprising, Tim Keller was interviewed. And it was not too long after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. In fact, that's what um, he died of this last spring. But he's on this podcast, and they're asking him about how he's doing and, and hearing about the treatments and what he's walking through. And he made this statement. He said, I'm fighting sin, not cancer. That was stunning. because, And it wasn't because he wasn't getting treatment for his cancer. But what he went on to say was this. He said, because of the resurrection of Jesus, I have all the resources in the world I need to walk through life and this circumstance with hope and joy. And then he said, but guess what? It's a daily battle. What was Keller doing there? He was applying Hebrews 12. He's applying Psalm 6. God is at work. He's training him. So the first place the psalmist takes us is a path to embrace a God who's actually at work in the midst of the hardships and despair that we face. And friends, let me just tell you, the current cultural climate that we sit in right now, the only thing you can do with suffering, the only thing you can do to despair is avoid it at best. But do you understand the rich resources that we have right off the top here to pray wisely, which is why the psalmist says, God, in the midst of these circumstances, would you be 
gracious to me. I know you're training me, but be gracious to me. But secondly, in the Psalm 6, we're invited to pray boldly in our despair. And this is surprising uh, even as you walk through it because sometimes, this is how I kind of relate to it, like if you're in a, a really difficult circumstance and you know God's at work, then maybe you should just be content with it, right? Like just, I guess this is just the way things are going to be. We'll just let things go and we'll let God figure it out. But that's not what the psalmist does. So in verse 2, the psalmist says this, Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. In verse 4, the beginning part says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me. And particularly in Psalm 6, the, the situation that the psalmist faces is most likely uh, a really serious health issue. And he asks for God to intervene. In other words, in the midst of praying wisely, Psalm 6 invites us to, to pray specifically for God to act in our circumstance. So think about this for a moment. If right now you're in despair because of your marriage, or your finances, or your future, or your kids, or whatever it might be, you fill in the blank. It's actually inviting you to pray specifically for God to show up and to act. And the beautiful part about this is every one of these pleas for God to act is all rooted in God's character because of who he is. So look at verse 2. It says this, be, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. That, that term is this, this term of being fickle, of being like a dried up leafless tree. I've got nothing left. And here's what it's assuming. God, you're compassionate. You are not indifferent to my suffering. You are not stoic. You are moved by human anguish. You are filled with compassion. In verse 4, he says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. It's this rich term of hesed love. This, it's hard to even translate in the English, but my favorite version is from the Jesus Children's Storybook Bible, which says this never giving up, always and forever love. Because of, because of who you are, because of that love, would you do this? And in verse 5, the psalmist appeals because of the finality of death. Act because death seems final. And there's this, there's this wonderful tension here. Um, Walter Brueggemann puts it really well. He says this, the, the laments, which by the way, that's a type of a psalm which Psalm 6 is a part of. He says it's the, the laments are refusals to settle for the way things are. They are acts of relentless hope that believe no situation falls outside Yahweh's capacity for transformation and no situation falls outside Yahweh's responsibility. So there's this invitation to pray boldly in light of who God is. And one of the things that's is just remarkable is in one way, the psalmist is looking at his circumstances and he's saying, God, I know who you are. I know your character, 
And yet here's what I'm walking through. And it's as if, as one author puts it, you're basically telling God that he feels as if God is not being God-like. He's struggling with God. It's almost as if he's saying, I know who you are. Please act. Oftentimes, in the midst of despair, in the midst of a long season of despair, one of the things that can happen, it's happened to me, it, it, it just leads us to be silent for what we want God to do. And Psalm 6, a passage that's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us, is beckoning us to come and ask him to act because of who he is. And right in the middle in verse 3, there's that great two-word phrase, how long? Right? It's, that, it's that sense that God is actually inviting us to be like the kid in the back seat on a long car drive, right? How long until we're there? How long until you act? How long? It's amazing. So pray specifically. Pray boldly, asking God to act and intervene in the situation you're walking through. But thirdly, pray honestly. Look at verses six and seven. It says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. The psalmist is flooded in despair. There's weeping, there's grief. And the very fact that this is in the psalm, it means this. God is not saying to you or to me, just suck it up and deal with it. The pain that you walk through is is not absorbed by some kitschy phrase like God has got this. It's not the pain of life, as one author notes, is not spiritualized away. It's raw. And it means this. It means that, that you and I, in our despair, we can enter with pain and hurt without apology and without compromise. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a retreat, and um, one of the, the things that they encouraged us to do was to, to write kind of a psalm out in our own words based on our circumstances, and that being a lament. Something like Psalm 6. And I remember um, we did that as an exercise, and then um, there was a moment in which we were all together, and there was an invitation if you wanted to get up and just read what you had written. And I remember uh, the guy who was actually over the entire thing uh, went up, and um, uh, he uh, had a wife who, had, who was suffering with a chronic illness, and it affected every aspect of their life, every aspect. Sleepless nights, 
kids, having to go home from work to deal with her and what she was walking through, the pain. And I remember him getting up and just saying out loud with tears and a deep emotion, and yet with deep, genuine faith, honestly telling God about all the ways that their life was so hard. The lack of energy, the lack of sleep, the needing to take off work, all these things, and just honestly coming to him. And it was almost a moment where it almost felt, personally, I was like, man, like, it feels a little bit sacrilegious. I don't know, like, in the moment, but, but you begin to realize that actually he's doing exactly what the Psalms invite us to do. To cry out to God honestly. And here's, here's part of it. See, some of us, we think that if we're going to come to God with our despair, we need to get ourselves together before we come. We think we need to put on a better face. We think we need to leave our emotion or a hardship at the door. And Psalm 6 invites us to come and to pray it honestly to him. Because he hears it. So pray wisely, pray boldly, and pray honestly. But fourthly, to pray expectantly. Look at, the, look at how it closes. Verses 9 and 10. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. You know, the, it's interesting that the psalm ends with this other element that, that there's opposition that he's facing. And oftentimes, let's be honest, sometimes that's the reason for the despair. Or oftentimes when our life is hard, that's when those who are really opposed to us, you know, get into us. And the psalm is saying, that's my situation. But notice there is in the end a confident assurance that his prayer has been heard and accepted. That's what verse 9 says. And so think with me for a moment. There was a moment in the psalm in Psalm 3 where it was how long And then you get to verse 9, and now he says, I've been heard. And commentators note that that even though the circumstances may have not changed, the psalmist has gotten to a point in the midst of his prayer that he knows that he's been heard. That there's a deep assurance. There's been a touch by God that God has heard his prayer. You know, sometimes I think about this as a parent. When you're regularly bombarded by a son or daughter with so many requests and so many pleas, and they come back again and again and again. And sometimes there's a moment in which the parent can catch the eye of the child And communicate both with words and with their attention. I hear you. I love you. I am for you. And even if the circumstance is not 
dealt with immediately. The child knows. The child knows because they trust the parent that they've been heard. And they move forward differently, don't they? Less anxiously. Knowing that it's going to be okay. And Psalm 6 gives us something like that. That somehow in the midst of pressing in, wisely, boldly, honestly, at some point as you press in, there's this expectant moment where God will meet you with a touch and assurance that you've been heard. And friends, that changes everything. It may not change the circumstances, but it changes, it does change everything. And what's remarkable is the psalmist, David, as he's writing this, he would never realize in a moment, years later, there would be another who would actually take a moment and pray part of Psalm 6. In John 12, Jesus picks up Psalm 6, verse 3, and listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. That's verse 3. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Listen for a moment. Jesus, notice what he's doing there. He is, he is praying honestly. He is praying boldly. He's praying expectantly. He's praying wisely. And he's in despair. His soul is troubled. In other words, he knows what it's like to be in despair. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. And even more so, is there, there, Jesus uses a word two or three times to this hour. I've come to this hour. In commentator's note, in the Gospel of John, that term hour on the lips of Jesus it always, always, always refers to his crucifixion. In other words, why is he troubled? He's troubled because he's going to the cross to take the anger and the wrath of God for our sin so that we might have a relationship with him, so that he might meet us in our despair. And here's what that means. It means if you're in despair this morning, do you you understand we have a much greater assurance than those who originally read Psalm 6 have ever had to trust that God will meet us there because we know and we see all the way that he has gone, even to the depths of despair, for you and for me to meet us there. Therefore, pray wisely Listen, know this, because of the gospel, if you're in Christ, whatever you're going through, it's not payback. It's discipline. It's a loving instruction. He's at work. Pray boldly. If you see the love of God in the face of Christ and you're walking through hardship, wrestle with God. Come to him and specifically ask him to move. Pray honestly. 
I mean, he knows your heart anyway, right? You're not surprising him to show up and plead how hard things are. But he invites it. And pray expectantly. Listen, if he has gone all the way to the cross and the empty tomb to rescue you and me, would it not seem that it might be a while? It might not be by the time you read verse 3 how long and you get to verse 9, he's answered. It might not be that long. It might be longer. But you understand, he will most assuredly meet you. So come to him with your despair. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the deep assurance available in the gospel through what you've done in Jesus so that we can come in our despair. Lord, give us grace to come to receive wisdom, to come boldly, to come honestly, and to come expectantly. And would you give us grace to come to you and that you would meet us there. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Continue uh, this morning, we do so uh, with a response to come to him. And we're going to do that just through the Lord's table. And on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his 12 disciples and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterwards, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup that my blood shed for you, this new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink. So this morning, as you come to him, remember what he's done. Remember that, how far he's gone for you. And and if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, this is the one part of the service we ask you to wait on. And then secondly, I'll say this, there'll be a couple people in back, uh, Viji and Caitlin will be in back. And if you need prayer this morning, just invite you to go and they would love to pray for you. Um, Sometimes I'll say this, particularly in the midst of despair, Sometimes it's so deep that it's, you may not have the words. And that's one of the big, great joys of a community is we get to pray for others. And he'll meet you. So as you're ready, come.